Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in the Warriors huddle with me, Bram. No Marcus, at least for our first segment today. He's going to be joining us a little bit down the line. But joining me per usual, my master of all things, Sound Maxine. How's it going? And back with us after just way too long, hell of too long, the Golden State beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, a man who attends every single Warriors practice, shoot around end game, and a guy who has to be tired of my voice at this stage. Since we recorded a podcast last week and took a social distance walk not two days ago, Mr. Connor Letourneau. What's going on, Connor? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Always always enjoyable to join the pod. You know, also Kevin Durant's favorite pod. So, you know, it's got to be good. <laughs> you know, we, we actually have a new requirement where you have to mention that three to four times through the course of a podcast. And you have to pretend like you're not trying to do it. Like you just have to come up with it randomly. So Maxine, make sure we've marked it. That's one, man, but we've got another three in front of us. All right. Noted. Yeah. Boys, uh, this is kind of unusual. So quick shot behind the scenes. We were planning on taking this week off. We had like a two hour marathon last week. I can't imagine that you guys want to listen to our voice anymore. But during the off time, I was going through a whole bunch of Warriors articles and I ran into one from Connor that got me so interested and so fired up that we dusted off the mics and came in hot even when we weren't supposed to. The title of that article is this, quote, how NBA shutdown helps Warriors' chances of landing Yanis Antetokounmpo. So you can see uh, why it fired me up, man. Um, And before I even ask you about the article, Connor, let me ask both of you this. Am I crazy or outside of Michael Jordan, is Giannis the best possible addition to this Golden State Warriors team? In, I mean, if you had a time machine and could pick from any player out of any NBA era? I think so. Uh, I think so because he provides them something they haven't really had um, in a while. The Warriors don't have an elite athlete, and he's the definition of that. I mean, he's called a freak for a reason, the Greek freak for a reason. And uh, – I think they have the they have the the floor spacers. They have they have all that. They need someone who can just get a bucket at any given moment, and that's the thing I think they really struggled with after Kevin left. Is they don't they don't have that guy who can just enforce his will offensively. You know, Steph is a different type of uh, offensive dynamo, if you, so to speak. And so I think if you brought Giannis in and paired him with someone like Steph. There's no way for a defense to counter. Um, and the the key thing to me is that Giannis is, what, 25 years old? Um, and so he's he's just now starting to, to hit his prime years. And Steph's now in his early 30s, as is uh, Clay and, and Draymond. And Giannis is, is a guy who can lead the Warriors into that next inter- iteration, you know, into that post-Steph era. And, you know, potentially help ensure that they can have a sustained 
successful period. I was going to say sustained dynasty, but I think it's more realistic to just st- say sustained success a la the the Spurs and what they were able to do going from a guy like Tim Duncan to Kawhi Leonard. If they keep if, – if it's Giannis who the baton gets passed to, I feel like dynasty is probably pretty appropriate. I mean, he's like one of the only dudes I – mean, we love Steph. That's been said so many times. But if Steph was passing that baton to almost anybody else, and, and, and I would drink the Kool-Aid and, and come up with excuses about why I love that other guy too. But we can say right now, if it's Antetokounmpo who gets that baton, there's not really that much of a step down at all. And let me put it this way. Um, and, and let me phrase it as a thank you to you, Connor, for pushing this out into the universe and giving me some content to take my mind off. But I was so fired up about the possibility of this happening that I was reading this actually when I was in a 7-Eleven. And the reason I remember that is because I got so involved in the damn article that I didn't pull up my mask. And by the time I got to the front of the line, everybody in that store hated me. I mean, they wanted to lynch me. They literally reminded me that there's, you know, California state laws now that say you have to wear a mask. And I almost told them in advance, how could I remember that? I'm considering the possibility of one of the greatest players ever joining the Warriors. <laughs> you know, so you know, I, I digress, but I give credit to you. Let me. Um, do, do you even use this? Is this a possibility to you? I mean, like real deal, man. Like, because we've been talking about it. But when, when, when I say Yanni's to the Warriors, do you view it as a pipe dream, like something that we just talk about to keep ourselves entertained, or is like something that could happen? I think it's more realistic than people are willing to admit. And that's, I think that's why I've been kind of trumpeting this harder than anyone. I've I've written more about this than any other beat writer. Um, and I've talked to people within the organization on a regular basis about this. And it's because I think it's plausible. I think it can realistically happen. Um, I know a lot of people kind of snicker whenever I drop one of these articles and they say, Oh, you're just, you're just trying to get clicks, which look, that's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that it's not part of the motivation here, but <laughs> that's not that's not the driving factor here. I'm writing about this because I think it's real, and I think that it is uh, the most important topic we can discuss right now. What is more important than talking about you know what their long term plan is and and what the number one way that they can stay relevant long term? And um, the the reason I think it's it's plausible, and I'm not I'm not talking about all the the things that have been speculated about people point to him choosing the Warriors and NBA 2K and shouting out Steph as the OG and and all those things and look it's good that he has a good relationship with Steph I think it's good that he ha- he he shares an agency with Steph and he shares the same agent as Seth Curry those are all kind of tertiary factors in my mind uh, but I I think that he has a deep respect for the Warriors, what they've built. He knows that they're kind of the blueprint of a winning franchise in the modern NBA right now. And if he doesn't want to play with the Bucks long-term, I think the Warriors are the only team that makes sense. Not only because that's where he wants would want to go, but also because they can, they can offer – the best package in terms of a mix of future assets and guys currently relevant in the NBA. And um, I think that Bob Myers has been, actually, I know that Bob Myers has been preparing for this opportunity for years. Um, And just like people laughed when we were talking about the possibility of Kevin Durant going to the Warriors a good year or two before he actually did, um, it's more realistic than people think. That actually has me really excited, Bram. When you asked um, if there would be anybody that would be a better fit for the Warriors that maybe since Jordan, uh, it triggered for me the realization that actually, honest to God, I would prefer Giannis to Jordan specifically for this team. I think his chemistry with Steph, the fact that they're both sort of family men, um, I think that Giannis would fit more seamlessly into our culture and and therefore elevate us even more than Jordan would. He he is a super dominant player who has a lot of the same um, cutthroat tendencies that we've seen from Jordan and sort of is, uh, is more prime for the modern era 
than sort of the the score first Michael Jordan was. And I mean, granted, you know, we saw that Phil was able to get him to be a little bit more of a distributor um, into the '90s. But I think, I, again, I just, I, I, there's nobody that I can think of, period, that I would rather have than Giannis. Maxine, you know I love you, and I've gone on record with my love for Yannis. Also, let's not be f***ing ridiculous. We're talking about goddamn Michael Jordan. I'm not going to sit idly by and have you say I would pass over Michael Jordan for anybody. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I understand it. But I, at least when I listen back to this podcast, I want to know that I jumped in and said, no, I would still take Jordan over uh, <laughs> over anybody else. But I'll tell you what, man, I'm burying the lead. So reminding us, here's the title of the article. How NBA shutdown helps Warriors' chances of landing Giannis. Connor, how does it help it? So there's a couple of different ways to look at it. But um, the, way, the, the, the way I think it's going to impact his, his decision is that on a basic level, we know, and this is, this is out there, this is, this is well known at this point, that the only way Giannis is going to leave Milwaukee is if he is not confident that they can build a championship-caliber team. Now, everything that happened this season pointed in the direction that they can do that. Uh, they, it seemed like they were kind of putting everything together. They have, they have the right coach in place. They, they have some good complimentary pieces and Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton and good role guys. And they ha- when the NBA shutdown arrived in March, they had the best record right. in the NBA. And there was every reason to believe they were going to finally be able to get over that hump in the playoffs and at least make the finals which I think would be enough uh, to lock him down long-term and get him to, to potentially sign that super max extension this summer. But right now everything is up in the air, right? So uh, we don't know if there's going to be another game played. We don't know if there's going to be any sort of playoff. Um, we don't know even if there is a playoff, what that will look like. Odds are it would be without fans and it would be shortened playoff series, you know, three or five games. And what happens in a three or five game series, just based up odds, right, is that you, the odds go up significantly for an upset. Sure. So you could you could see an eight seed upsetting a one seed because it's much easier when two out of three than four out of seven. And um, so, just thinking through it logically here. Let's say the Bucks are, are forced to play a, a three-game series in the first round and get upset. That's going to up the odds that that he at least does he at least declines the supermax this summer and just waits out his options, um, or he he decides that he's not f- confident in the direction the Bucks are going in. And if if no playoff happens at all, then um, the, at, at the very least the Bucks have missed out on what would have been their best opportunity to win a title since 1971. And we all know putting together a championship team is not an easy thing to do. And there are no guarantees that they're going to be able to replicate this season next season. I personally thought that they were playing beyond their abilities so far this season. And there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to avoid injury, which they completely did this season. They had not one significant injury. Literally everything was going their way. And so um, I feel like this in a lot of ways is the best thing that could have happened to Golden State um, because if everything went as planned and and they were able to play the playoffs and make the finals, you can stick a fork in the Warriors' chances right then and there. But this at least gives them some breathing room and gives them an opportunity. Is the opposite possible? So everything you just said speaks to me, especially a shortened playoff schedule. You know, if we keep calling the playoffs for Milwaukee like a minefield that they would have to negotiate if they want to keep Giannis, then in a shortened playoff schedule, they're looking at way more minds in that field. So I'm on board for it. What about this analysis? And I want you to tell me I'm wrong because it pushes the arrow in the other direction. But, you know, so right now we're in this really weird scenario, this, this damn pandemic that has all of us worried about our financial futures. And I, I, I bet that's probably true in a completely different sense, but at least somehow true for millionaires as well. And what I mean is, let's say they don't play this season again, right? It's just done. They ultimately realize no playoffs, nothing. We're just going to pick up the ball and play again next December. Am I wrong in saying that actually will help Milwaukee because of your Giannis suddenly you're aware that none of this should be taken for granted. You're not guaranteed a season at any point, and he should probably sign up for the Supermax 
and guaranteeing him, you know, five years of $20 million or whatever the hell it is he's pulling back. You know, am, am I off to say that? I mean, how does that land? I'm not sure he's going to look at it in that way. Um, just based off what we know about Giannis, I'm not sure if he's going to, I can understand the logic there. Um, and honestly, that was initially my thought, but then I've talked to people who are around the Milwaukee organization. I've talked to people who know him, uh, who are actually around the Warriors organization and they don't think it's going to, that he's going to process it that way. And, and, uh, I do think just historically when there's smoke, there's fire, right? Um, we were all speculating about Kevin Durant going and teaming up with Kyrie. And, and, you know, we've talked many times about our, that conversation the three of us had on this podcast and what happened with, with that. Careful. But, yeah, careful. You might get accosted in a locker room by yeah, a certain seven foot two. You know, that, that was based in something, right? That was based in what we were seeing in terms of that, the dynamic between those two, in terms of what we knew about Kevin Durant and his motivations. Now, Giannis is a bit more tight-lipped than Kevin Durant, but the everything we've seen between from his interplay with with Steph and the Warriors, he's not acting like that with anyone else. You know, he's not right. he seen him do that with any other franchise. And he's also hyper aware of the fact that everything he says gets aggregated. And he's not the type of guy to just say something to try to lead someone astray. I think he's a pretty genuine person. So um, this is there's something there, you know. This isn't just something we're making up. There's, and, and add the fact people. when they they asked Yanni's to name his his top five players of all time at one point, and he nefs, or he named Steph twice, two mm-hmm. times in the space of five players. Which all I mean, like that's. Too. All time. Yes. A lot of historians would not name Steph the top five players of all time. And And almost nobody would name him twice. I wouldn't name him twice. And I think he is my favorite player. (laughs) And it it wasn't, I mean, it was, it was, he, I think he kind of, if you watched the video, he he lost kind of track of his thoughts. And so he had almost forgotten that he had mentioned Steph already. Magic. And uh, I like Steph and I like. And there's one and five. The other six, like Steph also. And like Damien Lillard also. But it just shows you how prescient that name is on, on his mind. You know, it's at the tip of his tongue. It concerns me a little bit that he lost track of what he was saying after only five people. But let's not jump into that rabbit hole. Who cares? Instead, let's put a bow on it. Over under 25%. What are the chances of him landing in Golden State after you've looked into this issue? You know, honestly, I'd put it – I'd probably put it – I guess I would say under because I would probably put it around 20%. Okay. And I know that that doesn't sound high, but it's much higher than the vast majority of people would tell you. Um, I, I know mean, a lot of other beat writers who would say it's below 10%. Um, you the dumb and dumber, so you're saying there's a chance sounds, man. So you're telling me there's a chance. As long as yeah, it's above yeah. like 5%, think, let's go. I think it's close to a 25% chance and i and i say that because i i think there's probably a little bit a little bit below 30 percent chance that he ends up deciding not to come back to to milwaukee long term and then i think that if he doesn't go back to milwaukee long term that the there's a high percentage chance that he would end up going to Golden state I love that so much that I'm just going to change the topic and let that just kind of hang in the air for a second. Connor, we haven't been able to do it with you yet, but over the last few weeks, we've just been enjoying the hell out of The Last Dance, the Jordan documentary. And what we do is just jot down things that caught our eye and then go back through them. And there was one I have here on my notes that literally starts off with, make sure you ask Connor about it. And it's this one. I think it was episode eight, may have been seven, but I think it was episode eight. And it starts off with Jerry Krause being interviewed by an invisible media throng. And it's Craig Sager who opens up and asks him a question about the backstabbing that's going on in the Bulls organization. Is, is uh, he surprised that they're having this much success on the floor despite all the backstabbing all of it? Would you ever ask a question that had the word backstabbing in it? Like how much balls does it take to drop that question? Yeah, that was a great uh, – they started that episode and I – 
with that and i i was my mouth was agape because i was just like that is so incredibly ballsy i'm not i'm that i feel like that was that type of question was more likely to happen back then because things like that didn't go viral nearly as easily sure um we are constantly aware as media members now that if we word something stupidly especially covering a dynastic team that we're probably going to go viral and you don't want to go viral for the wrong reasons so um I, I i've gotten to the point where i think through my questions especially in an interview scrum or press conference several times before i actually asked it and uh, <laughs> the way you worded that was just so epically harsh um when you know because it was sager i mean he was probably he's probably sitting in like a gold shiny suit not giving a crap i mean because he always had swagger like that maxine would you have hard enough to do that like what's your personality type would you would you reach out and say uh Something that aggressive? I'd like to think I would, but dude, I think there's no chance, especially being around your peers. I just, I, yeah, I don't think I'd be able to live that down. Plus, like you know, Jerry Krause is a, is like maybe maybe my perception is a little bit skewed because Michael Jordan like persists in making fun of his height, but he seems like he's the smallest GM of all time. Um, so that makes oh. me the most likely to say something like that to him. I'll take over from there. It looks like he's quickly melting as this documentary goes on, which is not yeah, the best of looks. I feel like he he looks like a supervillain, which is perfect <laughs> given the narrative arc of this documentary, which paints him as a supervillain and paints him as this like really small-minded person who can't handle other people getting attention. Um, it just... The, the the optics and the behavior add up but let's i mean Have let's you, let's let's do be fair at least which is you know this is clearly every single word of this documentary documentary has been okayed by michael jordan and his team and i think we might have gone a little bit too far in the bashing of jerry Krause. i mean like he pulled kukoc from the second round like he's done a lot of kind of amazing moves no, I, right, so, his looks, Maxine. What are you talking about? He is—he's a—he's no, a Hall I of Famer. I mean, small-minded. <laughs> Come on now. Maxine, oh, I just thought—I thought he just said small. On what is my biggest issue with this documentary, which is, you know, everyone—it's been universal praise for this documentary. I think a lot of that is just because we have nothing else to watch, and we're desperate for any sort of sports content, and so we all desperately want to like this documentary. And look. I've, I've fully enjoyed it. It's I think it's well done in a lot of ways, and I, I, I look forward to it every Sunday. But just from like a journalistic perspective, it is so incredibly biased. I mean, it is – we have not – it is it's so clear to me that this whole thing was curated by Michael Jordan. I got on a conference call a couple of weeks before episode one came out with the director and the executive producer, and he talked about how MJ reviewed every single episode – and critiqued them before before this dropped and told them, hey, you should add more more footage from this game and less footage from this game and things like that. And um, it's it's just it feels like a legacy piece, and that's really all it feels like to me. It's it trying to paint Michael Jordan in the best light possible. Looking at this documentary from the lens of what wasn't included as opposed to what was is the tail wagging the dog. Recently, like the, the U.S. Navy released some images of UFOs, like real UFOs, like for the first time and whatever the hell, forever, forever, forever. And I'm sure they probably have hundreds of thousands of hours of documentary footage of UFOs, and they only gave us a small amount. But that 30 seconds isn't any less compelling because I haven't seen all of it. I'm just excited to see UFOs. Same thing for this documentary, Connor. I'm getting to watch the practices from when he was at Spaceman. I got to watch the 92 Olympic team play against each other. These are like pictures of the Loch Ness Monster for me. So, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. They probably could have made an even more amazing documentary. But until that next amazing documentary comes along, I'm just on board for this one, man. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying, and maybe it's just the 1980s kid in me coming out. But I've been loving Graham, it. You and, I, you and I had a conversation about this on our walk the other day. Um, and I, I think you appreciate this just as someone who's a, a Skyline High School alum, which is also the school that Gary Payton, a.k.a. the club, attended. Um, I think a good example of what we're talking about is when they're talking about that finals 
between the, the Sonics and the Bulls. And anyone who watched that finals, I actually, it's one of my first NBA memories. I remember watching that finals when I was like eight years, seven years old. Um, and anyone who knows that knows that the entire series shifted when they, they put Gary Payton on MJ. It took two games. Um, and you look at the numbers that they back it up that the MJ legitimately struggled with Gary Payton. And then you watch them get to that point in the documentary and it's very dismissive of that. And, you know, they, they show the interview of, of MJ watching the video, which was hilarious, by the way, of him Amazing. laughing at Amazing Gary footage. Payton. And I kept hitting him and banging him and hitting him and banging him. It took a toll on my, it took a toll. And then <laughs> resting him a little bit. And then the, the, the series changed. And I wish I could have did it earlier. I don't know if the outcome would have been different, but it, it, it was a difference <laughs> and, and beating him down a little bit. The glove. I had no problem with the glove. I had no problem with Gary Payton. I had a lot of other things on my mind. But just as a viewer, your takeaway is, oh, okay, so he, it, Gary Payton didn't actually, you know, didn't actually give him any problems, right? But but he did. You know, he, did. he actually did. No, of course um, he did. And, and even the documentary confirms that. They, they leave you with the impression that the reason Jordan didn't play well in those two games when Jordan switched him was because he had all these preconceived uh, – you know, issues with his dad dying. I mean, he, he was going through his first finals without his best friend at his side. But then they reveal that Father's Day was game six. They won game six. You know, so the way that they're telling the story, you're, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you that this is biased. I'm sure it is. This dude's controlled his image. I mean, this, this stuff was all shot in 98. It's 2020. You know, like he's controlled this for 22 years. The fact that he still has a stranglehold on it isn't a shock. But hey, I'm still on board for it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely still enjoying it. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm enjoying it a lot. It's just you have to you have to understand what it is. And in my opinion, it's a legacy. It definitely is. Of course, it's not it like is. a piece of journalism. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's definitely um, it's definitely self-serving. Um, MT, I know that we just caught you and let me bring you in uh, by having you weigh in on a, on a argument that Maxime and I had to start off the pot. If you could add anybody to this Warriors roster starting next year, would it be Giannis or peak level Michael Jordan? Giannis. No. Oh, my God. It just shows that you guys are both terrible. I don't even want to hear your answer for that. It's ridiculous. No, the I, reason why is because Steph, Clay, and Draymond wouldn't have the ball at all. It would just all be centered around Jordan shooting if they had, times a game. If they had 12 Michael Jordans on the team right now, I would add a 13th one instead of Giannis. <laughs> That's how dedicated I am to this. The time in that, triangle. that was the whole point of the triangle was they mixed it up. Let's go. That a boy, Connor. See, Connor had my back. F you. Marcus, yeah. I just want you to disappear. But they I mixed it up, this. and then he had to be coerced and convinced that he should throw it to Paxson, who was open, and he didn't even throw it. Horace Grant had to throw it to Paxson. He just had to be reminded, and they used it to win. I will not have you at House Jordan. Instead, I'll ask you a far more important question. Boys, does Michael Jordan have the most iconic mustache of all time? And, and, you know, we got our Charlie Chaplin, Hitler. There's some other big mustaches out there. But I mean, for my money, I think it's MJ's. Unfortunately, it has to be Hitler, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean that, that mustache is just synonymous with the worst human being to ever live. Yeah, you're right. Um, Let's, let me shift it then, Connor. When MJ adopted what can only be described then as the Hitler mustache, do you think that he knew that Hitler wore the mustache and he was like, you know what? I am Michael f***ing Jordan. I will rock a Hitler mustache anyways. We know that MJ is apolitical. So <laughs> you know, it's been another takeaway from this documentary. I don't know. I mean, does does Michael get the crown over Adam Morrison? Adam Morrison's mustache was legit. Uh, you didn't call that a mustache? That was like a milk stash. That was like, <laughs> that was bad. Adam Morrison looked like he painted that on at the beginning of every quarter. Like not even at the beginning of the game. Like he went into the into the hut and was like, "How's my mustache? It's looking all right. Let's let's get some ink on that." Uh, another last dance question. If he could, so you know, they asked him, um, and let's frame it. 
Scotty's decision to stay on the bench was a huge portion of one of those last couple episodes. And they asked him about it, and he said for the record that if he had a chance to do it over, he would do the exact same thing. But I don't believe him. I, I, I think that if he was actually given that opportunity, there is no way he wouldn't go on the floor. And I'll, I'll give you a stupid example. I catch my five-year-old kid doing things she shouldn't all the time. I bust her out on it. And sometimes there's like a five or 10 second period of time where she has a look on her face where she's trying to, to show that she's right. And she's trying to like have whatever argument it is, why she's doing what she shouldn't be doing. But the look betrays that she knows she was wrong and she shouldn't continue it. Scottie Pippen had that look on his face when, all, when his teammates took the floor at the end of that game and he stayed on the bench. He knew it was wrong then but he had already decided he couldn't go out and he couldn't get back up. So I don't believe him when he says that he would do it differently. Do you guys? Yeah, I don't believe it either. He's, I, we're learning that Scotty is incredibly stubborn, um, but that was just such a bad look. And I, and they, uh, his teammates said that he expressed remorse at the time. Um, so, and I believe them. So I, I think he would, he would uh, redo it. And this hits on another thing that I, I kind of wanted to talk about, which is just, have you guys been shocked by how poorly this portrays Scottie Pippen in a lot of ways? I mean, it's like a legacy piece for MJ, but then it, in the process, it's kind of throwing Scotty under the bus in a lot of ways. No, yeah, that- I agree with you. No, it doesn't surprise me. And all I think, you know, the if what we've been saying about Jordan is right, that he's looking through all this and he has some idea of the message that he wants to portray, and really it's a legacy piece and he wants to show all the LBJ fans out there who the hell he was, there may be some secondary because, you know, time has not been super uh, positive to Scotty and MJ's relationship. Scotty's had a couple of nasty things to say about Jordan, you know, the, the, well before this documentary came out. So it wouldn't surprise me if Jordan curated some of these episodes and thought to himself, you know what, I'll go ahead and let him look less than optimal here. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think Scotty would do it again if he had the chance. I mean, they, Coach made the shot and they won the game. So, you know, there's, there's that to contend with, but I mean, bigger than that, I, you know, I thought it was interesting that Rodman came out and said, if LeBron played in the era when Jordan and Pippen were at their peak and they were winning championships, that Scottie Pippen would still be the second best player ever. Huh. It's like, you know, I think for Rodman to come to Scottie Pippen's defense like that kind of supports what you're saying, Connor, and that the the documentary overall just isn't painting Pippen in a great light and you know I think he I think Robin even caught on to that so I think that statement kind of was fueled by that but it was interesting I mean you know I know Wes probably doesn't agree with it but um, you know (laughs) like it's is Scottie Pippen really the second best player ever and was just in Michael Jordan's shadow is a crazy question (laughs) I think that one thing that's interesting about this documentary and I'm actually writing about this tomorrow I've talked to several of the younger Warriors players, guys who are in their early to mid twenties. Um, and you know, they didn't, they didn't grow up with MJ. They grew up with Kobe and LeBron and they, this documentary has been an opportunity for them to learn a lot about the, the nuances and, and some of the behind the scenes stuff from those years. And for myself, I actually didn't know that story about Scottie Pippen sitting late in that game. I had never really? heard that before. And I know that that's probably something that's well known from your from people in your generation. Cause I'm sure it was a really big deal at the time, but, but you know, that wasn't like the shot with MJ. That wasn't like the flu game. That wasn't like at that level. And I, that's something I didn't know. And so it's been interesting, you know, picking up on those tidbits that you think as an NBA historian slash fan, I should know, but I just, didn't I have a question for everybody here so I so this footage is supposed to be footage from the final year the 97 98 season but so much of what we're learning and Bram what you said you loved was some of the dream team practice footage but that wasn't under Michael Jordan's control you know like technically that was should have already been available to the public like I don't understand like all the times that we go back and forth and 
kind of, I don't know, I have a bone to pick with just how the storytelling isn't linear, but like, I wonder if the fact that they only have footage from, with Michael Jordan's permission from the 97, 98 year, but they need to tell the rest of the story with the other footage. But that footage, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't like it was under lock and key and Michael Jordan wouldn't let it release. So I don't know. I'm curious why we're just now seeing some of that stuff. Well, I mean, the, it, it had his image in it. I mean, so like theoretically, I guess they could have released it if they had done that like blur out thing, you know? I mean, I, but really this is probably a legal question for the NBA's retained attorneys, right? And how that copyright stuff worked. Yeah, yeah but that's why, that's why I think that's a big reason why it is a legacy piece because, you know, legally he has a right to review everything um, and have input on the process, which – you know, it is what it is. Uh, that's probably how it was always going to have to be. Um, it's not ideal from a journalistic or storytelling perspective, in my opinion. But, you know, at the same time, it's also the reason why they got so much access to, to MJ. You know, he had three really long sit downs with the crew um, and was as candid and open as he was. I mean, my favorite scene from the entire documentary so far was when he was talking about how he's viewed as a teammate and he was talking about his competitive drive and then he started yeah. to tear up. Yeah. It was a break. Yeah. That's how I played the game. You don't have to, if you don't want to. And then he tears up and, and break. Look, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Break. And I, what I loved about that scene, so I feel like two things are happening, at least as far as MJ as a person for this documentary for me. One is it's solidifying all of these stories we've heard for years about how he's a psychopathic winner. Right. Um, and, you know, it's left and right. The George Carl not talking to him, the Bradshaw, you know, that story that he made up, the good game, Mike. I mean, we're hearing real world examples of why he has always been considered this maniac. But on the other side, I'm learning, I think, who Jordan is as a person now, not as a championship leader, but as a human being years later, looking back on his career. And he seems somewhat likable. And that scene you're talking about, Connor, is when those two things met each other. Because Jordan now, looking back at Jordan, the leader champion, doesn't seem to be super proud of how he handled it. I don't think he'd change it. I think he would tell you that it was necessary. But that tear tells a lot, man. It tells a ton. And in fact, let me ask you guys, would you, and, and be honest, would you want to be Jordan's teammate? Because I don't think I would be. You know, like if I've, I've showed my personality on this podcast, I'm crazy. There's self-loathing within me. You know, like I, I can take things really hard. I understand the success that would come with it. I understand, you know, I'd be an immortal. I'd be in one of these documentaries, but I'd also be signing myself up for just, just getting destroyed by this dude on a daily basis. Um, and I don't know if I can handle it. Could you guys, would you want to be Jordan's teammate? I don't know if I could handle it, but I definitely would want to try. I feel like that's such an incredible learning opportunity. You guys all agree? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's one of those things where you might not enjoy it at the time, but 10, 15, 20 years later, you look back on playing with MJ, and it's one of your fondest, most memorable memories ever in your entire <laughs> life. Do you think if they ask Scotty Burrell, they're like, hey, all those times he called you a bitch-ass hoe, one of the best memories you've ever had? Do you think that was like, yep. Our, our, uh, boy, was- our boy Mark Medina actually wrote about that yesterday. He caught up with Scott Burrell and asked him like how he looks back on those times with MJ, and he said that he looks back on them fondly, which I believe, you know, like <laughs> you probably hated it at the time, but you know what? If you're going to get bitched out by anyone – you got pitched up by the greatest player in NBA history. That's pretty darn cool. Do you guys remember the scene from episode one when they're in France preseason, they win that meaningless game, and one of Jordan's teammates hugs Ron Harper and then looks to Jordan and says, hey, it's my first championship. Let's celebrate. And Jordan gives him a look like, no. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> that, teammate, that teammate was Scott Burrell. 
you know, and like so they set up that he was he was s housing that fool right from the beginning. You um, remember in like the first or second episode, they're on the plane, and it was our first time seeing yeah. this in the documentary, and he's just putting him on blast and just saying, talking about how uh, much of a womanizer and male <laughs> slut. Scott Burrell is and Scott Burrell's like really concerned and you can see him freaking out and he's like, Hey, uh, my mom might watch this. Uh, <laughs> Michael, uh, can you please, uh, please stop? You know, that's not cool. Um, and MJ just does not care like that. It was a good introduction into their dynamic. Jordan stops talking to Scott when Scott says, don't say this on camera and turns to the camera and says it just directly to the camera. Like, oh, not only will I say this, I am now talking directly to your mom, Scotty. So you can go ahead and enjoy that. And uh, as far as favorite scenes, because um, I, I love that when you talked about Connor, my favorite one now is the scene of Michael Jordan calmly and slowly swinging a baseball bat while smoking a cigar and plotting B.J. Armstrong's sporting death. That, that was just everything that we've learned about him and just watching it come to fruition in that scene was uh, was chilling. It was just badass. Well, that's all right. Let's see if all that trash talking starts when it's zero, zero instead of five, six point lead. That's where it starts. That's the sign of a good man. If you can talk when it's even score, or talk when you're behind school. When you're ahead, it's easy to talk. Yeah, it was it was it was mean too. I mean, it was just like this dude helped you win championships, and he was in there like he was just plotting on killing him. He's like, you know better, BJ, than to ever disrespect me like that. Like, okay, like, and it was just it was cold. I mean, it was. I, I think that just shows the killer mentality that Jordan had, and I think one of the reasons why he stands out a little bit above LeBron to me is just because he had that and LeBron to me doesn't. But of course, when Jordan lost in the playoffs, when he came back to Orlando, right? So, I mean, think about that. He came back, 15 games left, destroyed himself to get the team into the playoffs, does everything he can to try to help him get over the hump. They lose in Orlando, and then we get a shot of Tim Grover, his trainer, saying, hey, I know you like to take time off after the season. You let me know as much time as you want. Um, and then we'll hook up. And Jordan says, I'll see you tomorrow. Counterbalance that with LeBron James losing to Golden State in the finals and showing up at the press conference with a f-ing cast on his hand. You know, I mean, and I, I'm sure that the injury was the same. But if that's what we're doing, if we're using this to compare their legacies, those two bullet parts are part of that legacy. Uh, here's another silly question. Were the glasses that Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Bulls in 1993, the largest glasses that anyone has ever put on a human face? Like, I bet you they had like jokey glasses they put on like a horse or something. So they were hella big. But I feel like Reinsdorf has the largest pair of human glasses. Am I wrong? I think you're right. (laughs) Reinsdorf (laughs) has been a really good foil for this documentary. Um, every, Every good story whether written or on TV, needs conflict. And he's been a good villain for this documentary in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I, I find it fascinating because it's it's it, it was everything was just so on the surface with, in terms of their issues. Like, especially in the social media age, you never see people talking as openly about those types of issues. But, like, they were, you know – in media scrums talking about how they hated Reinsdorf and stuff like, or in how they, they hated, uh, Kraus. You're talking Kraus. about Kraus. Sorry. You're, Sorry. Yeah, you're talking about the GM. Yeah. yeah yes. I, like, <laughs> I get them confused. I apologize. Well, it's he, the same first name. No. And you're right. right. It, it's the but, perfect uh, juxtaposition. Um, yeah. and, and he does, he helps move the story along. Uh, and I, let me, let me, this is a random conversational whiplash question, but Connor, I know that you know about sports, so I feel like you're the best person to throw it towards. Why was Michael Jordan's first baseball workout inside a gymnasium? Like, you'd figure like they'd be on a field or something. Like, why the hell were they literally on a basketball court practicing baseball? It was probably raining that day. Well, then just call it. I mean, I, were they wearing cleats in there? I, it just, it seemed a little um, discombobulated. Yeah, really smoother transition. It's for a smoother transition. <laughs> we'll practice indoors uh, if, if, there's, if it's raining. Um, 
Last question. Is this making you guys like or dislike Michael Jordan more as a person, not as a player? It's a that's a tough question. Uh I think I think for me it's making me like him more because I, I'm seeing more of the, the reasons behind things and seeing more why he was such a crazy person. Um what the motivating factors were. Um the stuff about his relationship with his dad has been really interesting and just how that impacted him. Um I do think that the documentary could do a better job of of painting that even clearer. Um, like we like we said the other day, they we still haven't seen his wife or his kids really at all in the documentary. I'd like a little bit fuller picture, but it, it definitely has moved the needle for me in that department. So it humanizes him in a way that I hadn't seen before. And and in any time someone's humanity comes through, you're going to appreciate them more and like them more because you can you can understand their faults yeah for me it doesn't really change how much i like him um it just makes me respect his his impact on the game in a in a different way i mean i already thought that he was the best player ever and you know i thought that his impact on the sport of basketball was unmatched but it just is further solidifying that just, you know, and he was one of the first celebrities, um, you know, in this generation or my generation that kind of dealt with celebrity um, the way that he did. Like, I think there's some big athletes nowadays that, you know, rival that like, you know, a Messi or Ronaldo probably worldwide would have those same things, maybe even a Kobe, but you know, like Michael Jordan went into the, fishbowl before anybody else had done it you know and that celebrity and stardom just took a toll on him and you could just tell like it just hit him in a completely different way that nobody kind of respected and expected so you know like I think as a competitor and as a basketball player he is a maniac and but I don't like him any less or more to Connor's point because we didn't we don't really get too much of it like I liked him a little bit more when I saw him having fun on North Carolina's campus and realizing he was there for another two years after his freshman year. And I was like, oh, man, he's like a a kid. Like, I related to him. But other than that, like, he's just this uber competitive person that I don't know too much about. Like, I knew about his dad and I knew about some of the off-court gambling stuff. So it's not like a surprise where it changes. It just kind of reinforces what I always thought. Your points on his personality stick out to me on for, for two reasons. One, watching rookie Michael Jordan as compared to 98 Michael Jordan is like watching Peter Parker versus Spider-Man. You know, I mean, he, he just completely transformed. He's a super version of what he used to be. But the other thing that really stuck out to me, and it backs what you're saying, the, the pressure that comes with superstardom. The times we see Michael Jordan having fun or, or twice, once when he's in North Carolina a little bit before superstardom hits him, and then again a really quick shot when he's playing around with his teammates in baseball because he's not a goddamn superstar in baseball. You know, he, he just gets to be one of the dudes. So that that it, it really backs this conception of who we are seeing has been created by the crucible of tension, not necessarily by the crucible of personality. Uh, Maxine, you're last up here, man. What do you think? Do you like him more or less? How's this impacted you? Yeah, I mean, the reason that I, I hesitated and and then was nodding when Connor said it's a difficult question um, is because I feel like we, we've we gotten the curtain lifted on 1990s Michael Jordan, um, and that sort of is in stark juxtaposition to who the, like, bloodshot-eyed, kind of overweight Michael Jordan sitting in the chair is today. And and so it's like it's confusing for me because everything that we're seeing, it's like, oh, cool. He was a human being like he was a maniac. He was hyper competitive. Um, and that all um, just further solidifies my understanding of who Jordan the player was. But right. I'm disappointed that that I mean, quite frankly, I'm disappointed that he didn't spend a little bit more time lamenting not uh, supporting Harvey Gantt. Um, over Jesse Helms in that election. And like, to me, that's just like, uh, 
what I want to see in any story is character growth. And the thing that is not changing for me is the fact that he was a dominant basketball player. So there's no way that character could grow because it's already, he's God um, on the court. And so like, I wanted to see some personal growth. And and what I saw was a almost a regression in that like, dude, you've had 22 years, well, not 22 years, but you've had a, a long time, maybe even 30 to think about this. Um, and you're still unable to say anything uh, indicating that like that that was a mistake and like let's be real that was a mistake like he oh absolutely well, should have been supporting harvey gant as, so as we get to learn more and more about jesse helms the guy who harvey grant was against he was oh like God. david duke i mean so there, there's a take at the end and i'd love your guys um your guys opinion on it but they have after jesse helms wins he says something along the lines of there's no joy in mudville tonight, you know, uh, referencing the Casey at bat take. And maybe it was just a North Carolina take, or maybe it was the most goddamn racist thing I've yeah. ever heard anybody say into a microphone, you know? And, and if it was the latter, even just by implication, then yeah, man, the Republicans buy shoes too has a whole different feel on it. Um, if, if it, you know, if he said it in context of not combating that in particular piece of I take it by your guys' silence. You agree. <laughs> um, and I, I know I keep saying this is the last thing um, and, and my apologies, but I, I also at least want to get this out of my notes and into the microphone. Um, we got a sense of his relationship with his father and a couple of things stuck out. One, you know, obviously um, how deep the relationship was and how immensely impossibly difficult it would be to be trying to wrap your head around the loss of your father, your best friend. And while you're doing that, suddenly, publicly, you're being blamed for his death. That your gambling or anything may have led to these indiscretions. I just can't, like, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't fathom it. I would never, ever forgive the people who said it to the media. I would never trust the media again. You know, it, it would just be such a disgust disgusting blight on them. And then secondly, and this is more tongue in cheek, Jordan casually mentions that his dad became a much larger influence in his life after his third suspension in school. And I just couldn't help but thinking, one, I was impressed that Jordan got suspended three times. Two, I kind of liked that Jordan's dad the first two times was like, ah, f it, he'll figure it out. They're like, it's all good. And then the third time was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta go talk to this kid. You know, it's, it was the, it was number three, uh, that really lit him up. Have you guys ever been suspended in going through school? Or did anybody ever ask you, hey, go ahead and uh, don't come back the next couple of days? No, I. but I did go to the principal's office at uh, once a year in first through fifth grade. And every time, the only reason that it bummed me out is because I knew that my dad was going to absolutely murder me when I got home. <laughs> I tried to <laughs> impress a guy named Sean Anderson in uh, eighth grade band class. And by impress, I mean, I just didn't want to get my ass kicked by Sean Anderson. And uh, he had a bunch of jumping jacks. They, the, uh, the type of fireworks that if you light off, they obviously set on fire and then jump up and down in different colors. And I set one of those off in band class and strangely, the school didn't take it that well. They uh, they asked me to take a couple of days. Connor, MT, you guys, any, any nasty indiscretions in your past? I, I would have, if I had to guess, I'd say no for both of you. Am I right? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, I got in go. trouble at school, but I don't think I ever got actually suspended. I had other, you know, like detentions and things like that, but I don't think I ever got suspended. No Sean Anderson's in your life. That's good, man. I remember my best friend, my, my best friend to this day in life, got expelled from seventh grade oh. after school for wearing a system of a down shirt on free dress day. Which, which, would you like go to like the, the school of the third Reich or something? What are you talking about? <laughs> no, it was, it was like Uber Christian Catholic school. <laughs> and there were like other rumors floating around about him that weren't even true. Uh, and they had no proof of, and then they ended up expelling him. And when his mom asked, why are you expelling my son? The principal told her, uh, you are your son is a moral detriment to our campus. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, and 
to this day, he's literally one of my best friends in life. And we talk about it all the time. And it was like kind of a defining moment in his entire life. So I like this guy. I like him a lot. We need to get him on the pot. MT, did you ever get kicked out? Um, uh, close. And I should have been fifth grade. I was had my new guest or Jabot shirt on, oh, which was nice. all the rage. Then oh, we're yeah. playing basketball and somebody grabbed it, grabbed me by the neck of it and like stretched it out. Mm. And everybody else who was watching gave the whole ooh and they formed a circle around us immediately and it was like well i guess you got to fight now was that so, a nightmare did you yeah. want to fight oh no i didn't me. want to fight yes yeah, no, i, I, I just want. want to play basketball and then <laughs> exactly. i'm in the middle of a pseudo elementary <laughs> octagon i was like oh my goodness and so, you have to pretend like you do want to fight but you exactly. don't you just want to get the hell out of there yeah, yeah so we fought it was a it wasn't a great fight at all i probably got in two punches at most i'm in the principal's office getting ready to face my impending doom like Maxime I know my dad's gonna bring the thunder and pain and for some reason the principal at the time was a principal of two elementary schools covering for another one and he wasn't at my elementary school that day and for whatever reason you're not allowed to get suspended if he wasn't there so I couldn't get suspended I had to go Dwayne our basketball coach came and got me and I had to run around Montclair Park a ton of times as punishment for it. When I got suspended, they suspended me for two days. My parents were out of town. I was staying with my grandparents. And I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but you look back on things you've done in your life and just cringe like, my God, dude, why would you do that? So I lied to them. And I, I don't even remember the lie. It was something that was so ridiculous. You know, like, oh, they said that you've been so good at school on Monday. You don't have to come to school on Tuesday and Wednesday. Like, just the most ridiculous of stories. Of course they knew I was lying. And then when my parents came back, they're like, so, obviously something happened, and you're completely full of shit. We're going to have to talk about that. But uh, I digress, boys. Huge Got uh, one more thing just from sure. the documentary. Sorry Please. to join late, but... Um, one of the things that I love about the documentary is that it brings up stories from other people outside of the documentary. It gives them kind of permission and to tell them. And there's one that came from a soccer player um, who said that Michael Jordan, a few of the players on the Bulls team and Samuel Jackson all wanted to play golf one time. And it was at a, a resort that you needed a membership. This guy was a player, Gary Lineker, had a membership and he needed one of his friends to come play and join so they could go on there eight deep. So they get there, they're getting ready to play. Michael and all his teammates are there. Samuel Jackson's there, which is funny too. But um, one of the guys looks at Michael Jordan and says, so, you know, I know you like to bet. Would you like to make a little wager on it? And Michael says, sure. And he says, so how much would you like to play for? And they said, Michael puffs on his cigar, looks straight at him, smiles and says, whatever makes you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. And I was like, that is perfect. Like that is so, that is the Michael Jordan we're seeing in the last dance. And I love that that story comes out because of the documentary. I love that. And you know what I don't like about some of the gambling stories? There, there's an insinuation that, and, and I guess this makes perfect sense, but I just don't occupy the tax bracket who would ever think about it. But that there's these, these looming nasty sharks out there who look for celebrities like Jordan, know that he's uber competitive, know that he likes to gamble, and then try to get in his life to try to get money out of him, right? I mean, we had those, those insinuations in earlier episodes that Jordan was involved, his name was involved in lawsuits, that he ended up owing money to other people. And I just don't like the idea that Jordan was ever the, the victim of a game. You know what I mean? Like that, that's not how I want to look back on his legacy. Um, okay, I am finally going to wrap this and I'm gonna wrap it by saying what I always do with you, Connor. You kicked ass, you always kick ass. I'm not the only one thinking it. Tell us where we can find more Laterno work so that we can continue to enjoy it. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron. Uh, read all my stuff at SF Chronicle. I also have my own podcast. Uh, Warriors off court. Uh, Chris Mullins coming on this week to talk about Ooh, the last dance. Nice. So give that a listen. Badass. And we saw Chris Mullins' bald head at the end of uh, of episode eight, um, right when they're tipping the ball and Reggie Miller saying, I thought I was going to end Jordan's career. And, and it, it was bittersweet because I love seeing Mully. 
but I hate seeing them in that Pacers uniform. It's always kind of a weird deal. Mm. Uh, from our side, you want to reach out and say that I'm crazy to pick Jordan over Giannis, that Marcus, Maxime, or Connor and I dropped the ball or said something worth listening to. Hit us up, warriorshuddle.gmail.com, Twitter account, at Warriors Huddle. Uh, we're also on Patreon, but for now, all of that is suspended in these weirdo times. Uh, with that in mind, go Warriors, and hopefully we'll see you real soon. Good, good. And just because I'm a rule player, Kevin Durant, thank you so much for naming us your favorite podcast. (laughs) And we're out. (laughs) Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.